for sure. 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 Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. I'm Peter. I'm Jay. <laughs> and know, uh, I'm, Jay- just getting, I'm just getting creative with how I say these things now. <laughs> just, just, one day I'm just going to have like Rob Paulson say, like, oh, I'm Jay, <laughs> like his like, best pinky voice. But anyways, <laughs> you were starting the show, Pete. <laughs> I, I was, yeah. So um, we we recently had the, the All-Star game, the All-Star festivities, and... Unlike the Winter Classic, I did watch some of this. Actually, I ended up watching the for the All Star game. I watched all of it except for the last game, the the final game. Uh, so I saw the first two games, and then for the skills competition, I watched the beginning, and uh, then kind of just lost interest and went to bed. But um, so so Jay, what were your what what are your takeaways from this All Star weekend? Like, what did you get out of this? Peter, just like Saturday Night Live's 40th anniversary special, there were hits and there were misses. You know, kind of kind of very just a commentary on the whole existence of the show itself. So we're uh, in the situation where we're watching these teams uh, get assembled through methods that are still unknown to even the most secured forms of government on this planet. Um, I don't know how these players get selected. They say fans do it, but I... I have yet to see any evidence of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd say it's a pretty lukewarm all-star festivity. Um, I think this just relitigates the conversation that you and I have had many, many times is um, how do we incentivize players to want to actually do it? Uh, how do we, um, you know, again, the three on three format, Takeover is obviously the most uh, logical and uh, responseful um, uh, change that they've made um, in, in its existence to keep it fun and, and interesting. Um, I gotta say, still though, I the, uh, the it, it, Pete, I, I didn't, I didn't want to get political with this, but sometimes I feel like the NHL's All Star selection is a little like the Electoral College. You know, some some players just kind of get. Uh, a raw deal because they happen to be a very in a very saturated uh, uh, environment. So um, I'll leave the rest of you to figure out how that uh, comparison is supposed to actually make sense. But um, the case in point is obviously Dylan Larkin, because I think in the three on three format, uh, he would have been an absolute bomb. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was just kind of disappointing to not be able to see him do that with, uh, oh, I don't know, two other extremely talented Atlantic Division players. <laughs> yeah. So so that was a little disappointing. So I think for the most part, if you talk to fans on the whole, they, they were like, eh. You know, I think just talking to individual people, like if your guy went, yeah, you were kind of okay with it. If your guy didn't go, you were like, eh, okay, it's whatever. So, you know, if it's if it's not drawing as much of a reaction um, at all, like – kind of like what you want people to do, then, then we need to, obviously we need to do something else. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, cause, cause you know, like you, like you mentioned before with, you know, the fans, the fans vote for the captain. So the fans vote for four players and then the other players are selected by a committee, like an NHL committee. And 
you know, in some cases, like especially like you mentioned in the in the Atlantic, I mean, there's there's probably 10 or 12 forwards in the Atlantic that have a very good case uh, for being one of the ones selected. So I think somehow it, it seems to me like it would make more sense to to figure out a way to open up the rosters uh, because, yes, they have three on three. But so you can have more players and they just every player plays a little less, but they still play like, you know, I, I don't really think. I don't really think adding more players is going to be that detrimental. You know, if you added another another two forwards and a defenseman, I don't think that makes that much of a difference. Um, I, I, I think it's I think it's tough because on the one hand, you have this, you know, you have the idea that every every team has a representative and you can totally understand that. But at the same time, it made a lot more sense back when the rosters were a lot bigger um, than they are now because or, you know, when there were fewer teams in the league. You know, but now with the the number of, of teams they have, you know, it's if you're going to be abiding by that rule, then there are going to be players who get selected who are not having nearly as good a year as some of the players that end up staying home. At the same time, you have you know, you, like that's kind of one end. But then at the other end, you have another another problem, another issue, which is, you know, let's say that two teams like Tampa Bay and Toronto they probably don't want four or five of their players going to the all-star game and playing in an exhibition game in the middle of the season. You know, they probably don't want yep. that to happen. Um, so it's really hard to kind of find a balance there. I mean, I think the only, like, I don't really have a real suggestion, but at the same time, I think there, there has to be a better way than what they're doing now. Um, I know I had heard on one podcast, I forget who it was, so I can't give credit, but um, somebody had said that, you know, what if for every few games that they go to, you know, so let's say for every three all-star game appearances you go to, you get to skip one, you know, so for the top players, you know, the top yeah. players, you know, like, like Ovechkin, Ovechkin took this year off and you can completely understand it. Um, you know, he played you know, uh, four playoff series last year. And so he didn't have as long a, a, of a summer break as, as a lot of people did. And of course he spent a lot of that in various stages of inebriation in the beginning, at least. So <laughs> you can totally understand why he'd want to do that. Um, so I think, you know, I think, I think if the NHL were to kind of sit down and be like, okay, what are the incentives here and how can we change the incentives to make this work better? And I think there's ways to do it. Um, but yeah, so the All-Star game itself was the the first contest between the Pacific and the Central was pretty terrible uh, as a fan. It was pretty terrible yeah. from from the fan experience because mm -hmm. it really seemed like the, the Pacific didn't even start trying until they were down by eight goals or something like that. And it was just you have Connor McDavid, you know, playing at maybe maybe half speed Um and, you know, he only played one game. You know, he didn't didn't play in the second game because they lost. So, you know, if the NHL is trying to market itself and is trying to market these players, you want to have Connor McDavid playing at, you know, a, a relatively high level so people can see that. Because imagine yeah. imagine if you'd never watched the NHL before and you heard, oh, this guy, Connor McDavid, is unbelievable. You got to watch him. And you don't typically watch hockey. So you tune into the All-Star game. And if I had never seen Connor McDavid play, I would have no idea what the big deal is. I would be like, he just looked like an average guy out there. You know, I think that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I don't know. There's, 
all-star games in general have, I don't know, maybe they were just as with all things, Peter, they were pure in their innocence before, <laughs> before they were, before they were violated by marketing and, and, and television, all that stuff. Like, I think there's obviously these moments where like giant sea changes have happened with what an all-star game can be. I think, I think baseball's, uh, uh, crux moment for their all-star game was when, uh, Pete Rose, uh, just completely, just (laughs) this again, this is one of my favorite things of all time because before Pete Rose in the all-star game, destroying the catcher, I think the all-star game was kind of like this very, very professional gentleman's bet, right? Like, Hey, listen, we're all, we're all men here. We know what we're doing. This is, uh, this is just a, you know, we're going to play the game as it's, uh, as it's meant to, to be played. We're all professionals here. It's just another game. But when Pete Rose destroyed Ray Fossey, I think that was kind of like a, um, it's like that random moment where like everybody it's, it's the classic, everyone has fun until someone shoots their eye out and then it's just fun. Right. So this was actually someone getting their eye shot out and everybody going like, huh, was, was that necessary? Did you really? So with, with Pete Rose destroying Ray Fossey, I think that opened everybody's eyes a little bit like, Oh, okay. So if we just play this like a regular game and, and like kind of let each other run wild, we can like, kind of hurt somebody huh <laughs> and 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 that uh that was kind of a um revelation moment so the 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 all-star game for baseball has just kind of been this friendly hangout thing and you know guys will go for it and 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 but with the new can't run into the catcher rule that kind of eliminates any sort of contact whatsoever i mean i think the all-star games are great but just there's there's also an attitude that needs that used to be at these games pete right like something mm-hmm. like all right for one night, I'm uh, sitting next to a guy that I usually crush into the boards or another guy that I usually try and stick handle through but can't get around. But for one night, this guy's my teammate. And the idea is to show that our conference is better than theirs. Our league is better than theirs. And that's I feel like that attitude has just kind of been diluted a little bit because obviously guys have so much pressure on them to perform you know, for the rest of the year, <laughs> yeah. you know, like there's, there's all these injuries that can happen, especially with hockey and how we like one, one leg collision, all of a sudden you're needlessly having to shop around at the deadline when you were pretty much set before going to wherever the game was being held. So I, I really wish that there was some way to completely make all hockey players be superhuman invincible just for one game. So that way you can see what truly skill on skill looks like, mm. because I'm sure these guys want to be an all-star and want to show off their skills, but it's like watching Ferraris drive us in a subdivision. Yeah. You know, there's, there's really, there, you can't really do too much. It, yeah. It looks great, but you're barely, you're barely topping 25 miles here. So yeah. Yeah. Since it's the uh, relatively midpoint of the year, it's actually a little bit past the midpoint of the season. One of the things that a lot of people talk about at this point is the awards and checking to see 
who are the front runners at this point. All right, so we're going to do, um, in the interview coming up with Kat Silverman, uh, we talk a little bit about the Vesna. Uh, so we're going to skip that here. We're going to talk about some of the other award categories and um, who we think are, are the front runners at this point. Uh, you know, how do we think this is going to shake out? All right, so let's see. So let's start with the Art Ross. All right, so the Art Ross is for the uh, the player who scores the most points. This is not a subjective one. This is really easy. It's like you just look <laughs> at the numbers and who has the most. Um, so as of right now, uh, the scoring race, as we record this, uh, basically we have uh, we have one, two, three. We have six players all with more than 70 points. So we have Kucherov with 79, Patrick Kane with 75, Johnny Goudreau and Miko Rantanen both have 74, McDavid has 73, and then Nathan McKinnon has 71. So, Jay, who do you think... Who do you think ends up winning the Art Ross? Well, it, it obviously seems pretty apparent that it should be Kucherov because the man is a is is machine. He is he he is a flipping marble. But I'm going to go off the path, the beaten path a little bit here and say that um, Johnny Gaudreau is going to uh, continue to catch fire, such as the team that he plays for mm. uh i i i really think Gaudreau is uh and, and and the reason i say that pete is because recently i was uh working a red wings game and we did play the calgary flames so it's kind of hard to not uh, notice uh, johnny Gaudreau when he's uh playing um he actually has a better plus minus than uh than kucherov he's uh, he's a plus 21 so um i'm uh, I, i'm thinking that uh if if calgary is going to try and maintain any momentum whatsoever to try and, you know, at least have nice things to think about, you know, have content and try to have more nice things. Um, I think Gaudreau is going to be the, the, the emphasis there. So um, he's only, he's only five points behind Kucherov, but something's telling me Pete that Kucherov is going to hit just like this, I won't say it's a wall. Let's just say someone's going to randomly tie an anvil to his legs. So he'll only be able to do like half as much as what he's been able to do so far. And that's going to allow some people to catch up. And I think that's going to give uh, Gaudreau the the incentive to just just let it all hang out. Yeah. You know, just go for it. Yeah, I'm uh, I was going to say that I think Connor McDavid will win this again this year. However, before uh, I said that, I looked uh, to see who he's playing with right now. And right now <laughs> on the Edmonton top line, we have Connor McDavid, who Corsica ranks as the number one center in the league. His left wing is Milan Lucic, who is the 108th re- uh, left wing. And his right wing <laughs> is Ty Ratty, who is the 115th ranked uh, right wing. So... Um, <laughs> At some point, we need to stage some kind of an intervention. Um, I mean, like like everybody just has to step in and, and, and rescue Connor McDavid from the Edmonton Oilers. But um, yep. I'm gonna I'm I'm just gonna take the easy way here. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Kucherov uh, is going to, to to keep it. Okay. All right. So one of the harder awards to to predict each year is the Norris Trophy, because the Norris Trophy is for. Um, the best defenseman and that can sometimes uh, you know sometimes be controversial in terms of how do you define the best defenseman Uh, is it the person who uh, helps his team to allow the fewest goals that seems to make sense but you know we'd be kidding ourselves if we didn't uh, if we didn't say that point production 
you know, definitely has something to do with it. It's uh, it's a big part of how how they they look at this award, the people who vote for it. Um, so, Jay, do, do any any people stick out for you right now in terms of uh, in terms of the the defensemen that you think are going to be in the conversation at the end of the year? Well, as you said, Pete, if you're talking about sticking to one type of criteria, I think it's pretty hard to overlook Brent Burns, uh, especially because of the amount of hair growing out of that man's face and head. <laughs> um, I, I've recently tried to pay a little bit more attention to, to Mr. Burns because everybody's been talking about him. So um, I, I really enjoy his game. He's – you know, in, in light of talking about uh, – as, uh, as we record this um, – uh, last night, the Red Wings uh, retired Red Kelly's number four. And during the ceremony, they were talking about the the role of defensemen and, and, and what is their um, – how did that affect the player's ceiling? How did that affect his style of play if he's just kind of locked into one uh, uh, position? But, you know, he's uh, – Kelly was able to be one of the progenitors of what it means to be an offensive defenseman. So I think – Brent Burns is kind of this new era version of how you can be a beastly bulging man and just be very skilled. <laughs> just he is he is a large dude and and he's he just goes about his business and and I so if we're sticking with the he has to be a defenseman but also contributing to the overall point production of both himself and his team, I think Burns is is straight up the 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 pick right now, but that's because we're only sticking with one thing. I think Victor Hedman is still, once again, I don't care about points from him. He is a, he is a golem. <laughs> so I'm, I'm between those two, like it, kind of, it, it's it, for me right now, it's kind of tough to, to stick to a, uh, a mix of what the current ideologies are. So I'd say it's probably Hedman one burns two. Hmm. Yeah, just, just in terms of like what it means to be a defenseman, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's literally your your job. So, yeah, because right now if we look um, at the the point production from defenseman, um, well, actually this is five on five, so this takes away power plays, etc. Um, Morgan Riley is number one with twenty nine points. Brent Burns has twenty eight, uh, and then the, the rounding out the top five, we have Thomas Chabot from Ottawa, John Carlson from Washington, and Chris Letang from uh, Pittsburgh. Right, so that's that's pretty interesting. Um, if we include power play, uh, so if we do all situations, Brent Burns uh, takes the lead. He has fifty-two points. Morgan Riley with fifty. John Carlson forty-six. Mark Giordano jumps up into the mix with forty-six, uh, and then Chris Letang has forty-two. Um, we mentioned Thomas Shabbat before. He drops down to seventh, but he's still he's still up there. So um, yeah, I mean, I think I think Brent Burns is, and Victor Hedman are definitely in the conversation. Um, I think uh, Thomas Shabbat from Ottawa is probably going to be a dark horse candidate. I'm not saying I think he'll win, uh, but I think he might end up sneaking into the finalists at the end of the year. Um, Morgan Riley uh, definitely is going to be a a possible finalist here, I think. Uh, And, uh, you know, we can't leave out uh, San Jose teammate uh, Eric Carlson, who had a very slow start to the year in terms of production, but he's, uh, he's picked it up a lot lately and we'll see if he ends up uh, continuing on with that, but um, there are, there are two more awards, and this will probably be uh, you know we're going to get to the interview pretty soon, and this is probably an easy way to do that because both of these awards I think are pretty uh, 
pretty cut and dry at this point, right? We have the uh, the Calder Trophy Award for the the best rookie, and barring some type of craziness, uh, you know, complete change, it seems that uh, Elias Pettersson from the Vancouver Canucks is probably going to win that one in a a fairly uh, easy fashion, uh, and then for the uh, you know, like we talked about last week for or last episode for the uh, the Jack Adams for the, the coach of the year. It's pretty hard to see anybody other than Barry Trotz winning it at this point, as long as things continue on the way that they are going. Right. Jay, does that sound sound pretty fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty fair. I, I, I did see a recent article talking about uh, Tockett in in uh, in Arizona should at least get some consideration as well. But um, it's I mean. You kidding me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so we're going to go uh, to our interview and uh, we'll be back after that. All right. So our guest today, our returning champion uh, is uh, Kat Silverman. She is a uh, sorry. She is a Coyotes contributor for the Athletic Arizona uh, she's a goaltender and a journalist. She's coached with the Arizona Coyotes Department of Hockey Development and USA Hockey, is a regular contributor at Ingoal Magazine. Her work has been featured at NHL.com and Yahoo Sports. Kat, thank you so much for coming back. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're really we're really excited uh, to have you on again because uh, I remember the first the first time was just about a year ago. I think I looked it up. It was about 11 months ago. So, um you know, even though we record every two weeks, it's nice to have, uh, nice to have people come back uh, for the, for the second and you know probably third and fourth time down the road. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let's see. So let's uh, l- l- let's get started with uh, a reader question because I think uh, we got some really good ones this time. Uh, not that we don't get good ones, but we don't always get questions. So um, no, but I, I like this, and I think it's kind of like a good kind of like a good general question. But there's probably a lot here, so. Um, one of our listeners slash readers, JHDSGJ, so I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to pronounce that, um, asked this, right? So how can a lay person tell if a goalie is on or off, like, you know, on, on their game or off their game? Does it vary from style to style? So he says, he or she says, say, Hashik versus Brodeur. Um, so... So how does that work? If you're just a person watching the game, you're not an expert, but like, like what are some things that you can look for to evaluate the goalies? Um, I, well, I'd say a lot of goals being allowed. Um, mm-hmm. for starters. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. Cause like, like they asked, there is a difference from goalie to goalie, you know, what, uh, what makes Mike Smith look bad is not necessarily what makes Jonathan Quick look bad. What makes Henrik Lundqvist look bad is looking like Mike Smith, you know, stuff like that. So uh, that's that's hurtful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mike. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's, you know, what, because you, you have guys like, uh, like Jonathan Quick who have a very wide butterfly. They're down a lot. Um, obviously, if they're playing a little more upright, if they're not sliding across, with quite as much speed, they're going to be off on their timing because they're used to very quick, strong lateral pushes. So they may look a little bit more like, say, Anthony Stolarz, who's not as flexible. They may look a little bit more <laughs> like uh, like Jonathan Bernier. Um, so, so what makes them look <laughs> bad? Maybe looking like someone else in the league, which sounds like I'm trying to hurt those other guys, but I'm not, you know? <laughs> they'd obviously be doing the same thing, but allowing more goals. So they, if, if they look 
like they're uncomfortable, I guess is the best way to put it. So the more you watch certain guys, the more you'll recognize it. You know, you'll see like Jonathan Bernier, I think is a really good example. If he's a, if he's looking a little stuttery when it comes to his recovery back, back into the net with his depth recovery, that's usually a sign that he's off his game because his Mm. depth management is really what makes or breaks him. And so that's just something that, you know, you can you can tell when they're uncomfortable because they do allow what we would consider those soft goals. They allow those goals that maybe maybe they wouldn't allow in in almost any other game. Uh, they may allow some high danger goals that you think, ah, oh, you know, I've seen them make that save before. Uh, and it may be a goal that you know another guy you think, oh, there's no chance that other guy would have stopped that. But like if it's Dominic Shack, that's somebody who would make that stop and then wouldn't, you know, in, in a game that he's not feeling good. And it's, it's kind of mm. tough though. That's a, I would say the easiest way is when they're allowing a lot of goals. And that's, <laughs> yeah. that's such a, that's such a crummy thing to say. I feel like that's, that's not helpful, but, uh, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> no. So, so like if you're, if you're watching like video of an old, uh, you know, old video of Dominic Hasek playing and like, he's in his crease, you're like, okay, something is, something is terribly wrong here. Something he does not, very wrong. He does not feel comfortable. He is on his side of the blue line. I'm not sure what's going on here. <laughs> he's not skating it to center ice. That's a, he's not challenging the shooter, cutting down that angle, like over by the player bench somewhere. There's something wrong. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I couldn't let the D get that breakout pass. I had to, I had to do something. I had to do it myself. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think, Kat, the, the one thing that I've um, seen – more lately, and I, I want to thank you for leading the charge on doing that. But just in the everyday frequency in which I see something happening, and it's like, oh, didn't come out and challenge, did not cut, <laughs> did not cut down the angle. So I just want to let you know if there's a Pete, there's probably a future for sure T-shirt design that probably has something of what what Cat has been preaching forever. So. If there's anything we if there's anything we want people to take away from whenever we talk to Cat is whatever you do in life, just make sure you challenge the shooter. Cut <laughs> cut cut down the angle. That um, has taken on a life of its own right there. <laughs> I, uh, just that one, the one that I've pinned on my Twitter for anyone who listens and follows me. It's it's yeah. uh, I believe it's uh, I want to say it's either. I, I think it's Anton Hadobin with the Bruins, and he'd come like into the faceoff dot. Yeah, he was like ready to take a face off, and he was down in butterfly. So there was no retreating for him. He was on his butt, and I was like, "What are you doing?" And uh, somebody, somebody had taken a screenshot. I think it was Callum Frazier. He covers the Senators, and he said, "I'm not entirely sure what Hadobin's doing, but I think he's trying to challenge the shooter, and I don't think it's going to end well." And it, it turns out, like, I don't think they got a goal off it. I think somehow, like the defense panicked and like all swarmed and stood in the net for him. So uh, they basically had a bigger goalie in that because they had every Boston player just like standing there praying, you know, Dallas or whoever it was didn't get a shot off, but, but they didn't score. So I, I decided to use that, that iconic SpongeBob meme and, like you got to mm-hmm. cut down the angle challenge the shooter and now I get people sending it to me all the time like anytime their goalie does something stupid and comes like way out of their crease I I'm sure to get a screenshot of it from someone so I'm very I'm very excited about this and I'm glad 
I'm, I'm just glad to be alive right now. You know, there's just, it's, it's, it's the perfect time. Um, Kat, is there, um, is, is there a goal? T- uh, Pete and I were kind of talking about this uh, a little bit earlier um, because we, the, the, for those of you who always clamor and, and just send us message upon message wondering what's the process like for us to record an episode of for sure. Uh, the last episode, we actually recorded a segment about, uh, some midseason awards, and and we didn't think it was polished enough. We didn't think it was good enough for for the ears, but we did realize that uh, there was a little bit of a discrepancy because I had mentioned Mark Andre Fleury as somebody to keep an eye on, and and Pete was just like, uh, "That's okay, that's news to me." And then we both did research, and it's kind of weird how some sites have him in the conversation, uh, and and some sites don't. So. Uh, can can you can you offer any insight as to why a goalie can be both in your like on the radar but nowhere on the radar? <laughs> you know that's a really good question because that was a that was on Toronto last year. He um he finished the season with a nine thirty save percentage and uh, did not get a single Vezina vote. So he was in the conversation and absolutely not. So. Uh, I think it has to do with stuff like that. I think uh, it really just has to do with what people are looking for. So, you know, some people are looking for that high save percentage. And if a guy has a 930 at this point in the season and hasn't played only two games, he's probably going to be in the conversation. But uh, other people are looking for wins, which is dumb, but they might be. (laughs) Um, And if if they're looking for wins, you know, they uh, obviously they're going to be certain guys who Jonathan Quick in I want to say it was 2016 he had like 40 wins and like a 9-10 save percentage but the people who were looking for wins absolutely had him in the conversation because he was he was leading the charge in terms of success didn't matter how he was getting that success just that he was getting the success so depending on what people are looking for criteria wise that really makes a difference in terms of what people are noticing really i mean if if guys are looking for wins they're not looking at safe percentage so they're not even noticing the guys who have the high safe percentage but maybe aren't on the best team so the mark andre Fleury is a really good example because he uh he has some really good games and he has some really bad games <laughs> and if people are looking for consistency exactly so if people are looking for consistency he's not even on their radar but i believe statistically he's still doing pretty well right so mm guys who are looking at just the statistics and not the consistency and not the not the quality start percentage not the goal saved above average if they're just looking at save percentage he's very much in their conversation and if they're just looking at wins he's very much in their conversation even though the pacific is kind of like a freebie <laughs> if you win games in the pacific it doesn't really count it's like it's like a showcase <laughs> game so <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously I they they got to be. The <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously they got to be they got to be checking that uh, that sweet GAA to make sure make sure they know what's going on. We recorded a segment last episode that didn't make it to air because we 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 wanted to go back and kind of do a better job of it. Um, we want to do some more research before doing it again and. You know, like Jay said, we, we ran through some of the awards. So we're going to do that again, and we figure since we have you on, you know a lot more than we do. So who would your front runners be for the Vesna? Like top, maybe top three, or if you want to you know, add in another person. Um, this is this is showcasing how much I haven't been researching for my <laughs> job. 
I, I don't know why I have a job. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I think that as long as he doesn't absolutely tank the end of the season, we have to be considering John Gibson for the best Woo! of this year. No that was my question. pick. That was my pick. I mean, Validation. I, I'm, not even, I'm not even the biggest John Gibson fan sometimes. You know, he's got, he's got some noticeable holes in his game. And when they're exposed, uh, he really, really shows it. But he's been saving that Ducks team. I've watched them play, you know, more games than I wanted to this year because they're, they're in the Pacific. And uh, they're bad. Like, they're not just injured. They're bad. And he's been absolutely keeping them, not just afloat, but he's been keeping them in the playoff conversation. I mean, yeah. they have they have one of the most anemic offenses. And that, that does have to do a little bit with injury, but it also has to do with the aging. Um, they have like a minus 29 goal differential. And so little of that has to do with him. So much of that has to do with the fact that they just aren't scoring any goals. So he's losing <laughs> games two to one or three to one. Hmm. And so he's only allowing, you know, that two or three goals, but the team's only scoring once, or they're getting shut out. So I know that earlier in the year, they had a game against the Coyotes where they allowed something like 43 shots. And then they won the game one nothing because the Coyotes also have no offense. But, mm. you know, that's the kind of thing that he's, he's the only reason they're even still there in the wild card picture right now in the West, which, woof, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's the kind of thing that he's he's really been pivotal for that team. Uh, beyond him, though, whew, I'm not sure. It's been a really bad year for goaltending. A really, really bad year for goaltending, guys. It yeah, like, kind of hurts my heart. <laughs> it, seems, it seems like there hasn't been a lot of... Um... Yeah, it seems like there haven't been a lot of standouts. Like, like one thing when I was doing research for the episode last time... Um, you know, I started to look at the Islanders because obviously their defense has completely uh, changed, right? Their, their defense, it's almost like they entered the witness protection program and they had to completely change everything about their identity. And they're like, let's see, <laughs> rather than allowing 50 shots a game, we're not going to do that. You know, it's like uh, it's like in Seinfeld right. where George does the exact opposite of his instincts. And, <laughs> you know, so I was looking, but like, like the, the interesting thing about the Islanders is that, you know, you have Leonard. But Grice has played a lot, too. So it's, you know, and he's done pretty well, too. So I wonder if that's going to, like, kind of split any type of votes they have. In Boston, I know last week when we, or two weeks ago when we recorded, I think Rask and Halak had actually played exactly the same number of games. So They played almost the same number of minutes, too. Yeah. They had identical save percentages, identical <laughs> games played, and they were off by, like, six minutes based on, like, how much time they had spent being pulled at the end of the game hmm. they were off yeah. by like nine shots and one of them the one who had more shots had allowed like one more goal and that was it yeah so i mean i think i think you know you were saying it's a hard year for that and i think things like that have kind of made it even harder because you would consider you know <laughs> you would consider that they've been doing pretty well so uh you know maybe one of the boston goalies might be in the conversation but since they're both almost identical it's kind of hard you know you're not gonna put both of them in like the top three of the finalists um but yeah it's gonna be interesting to see if, if anything changes because um you know you know like i kind of yelled out uh john gibson was my pick based on you know based mostly on how he started the season you know he's still playing well but i mean he was just unbelievable for such a large part um all right so uh, we wanted to talk about something, and uh, you know, you and I had talked a little bit before 
because uh, we didn't want to just like spring this on you. Um, but recently, there is a uh, there, there's a story in in the the hockey news, the hockey media, and actually it kind of uh, it, it it kind of greedied itself, uh, and by that I mean it went national. It uh you know escaped the bonds of just Sportsnet and TSN and uh, etc. And so I'm of course talking about the uh, the 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 interaction between Pierre Maguire and Kendall Coyne. Uh, so just for our listeners, if they're not familiar, um, Kendall Coyne was invited. Uh, she took Nathan McKinnon's place at the All Star Skills Competition and uh, to do the fastest skater. And pretty much anybody who knew anything about women's hockey or her knew that she was going to do really well. Um, and it. it kind of brought to light that a lot of people didn't know anything about her uh, because, you know, f- how surprised everybody was. So she uh, she she actually she beat one of the men competitors um, and, you know, she did well. I think she finished maybe one second behind Connor McDavid, which is which is obviously impressive for anybody. And so there was this whole big kerfuffle about um uh you know, kind of the representation of the women and how they were uh, how they were portrayed, how they were. Um, I don't know, some people almost said used in, in some ways. But afterwards, uh, Kendall Coyne was invited uh, to go on NBC as an analyst. And she has a, you know, she has a degree in communication. So it's not like she's never done anything like this before. And so she starts off in between the benches uh, with Pierre. And a lot of people kind of, if you watch, if you read Twitter before the game started, a lot of people kind of anticipated what was going to happen but (laughs) i don't think anybody really thought it was going to be like this so um what we're going to do is we're just going to play the clip in here um and so that way you can listen you know you can hear for yourself and then we're going to talk about it it's been exciting it's overwhelming i'm so excited to join you here so tampa's going to be on your left Pittsburgh's going to be on your right what are you expecting out of this game we're paying you to be an analyst not to be a fan tonight i yeah i'm excited to see tampa start they've been off for 10 days haven't had a game Pittsburgh, on the other hand, had a tough loss on Monday. Got a little bit blown out of the water by New Jersey Devils. So I'm excited to see the start tonight. Let's have a blast. Johnny, back to you. All right, so Kat, so a lot of people were pretty much immediately upset about the uh, about like the way that Pierre kind of acted in this clip. Um, so... You know, as somebody who is who is a woman who works in hockey, you know, who is a hockey journalist, knows the game very well, obviously. Like, what was your reaction to this? And I guess maybe if you want to talk about it to kind of like the the blowback, you know, there was this initial thing. And then there was obviously a giant online conversation about this. Absolutely. Uh, now, in terms of the blowback, I do want to uh, to preface that with um I think that probably about 1% of the people who were negative about it were actually upset that a woman was involved. Um, mm. And probably 99% of the blowback itself in terms of people that were pushing back against against the anger from it, not, not just the blowback itself, but the people who were then fighting back and saying that it was an exaggeration. A lot of those were just confused by what was so wrong with it because Pierre Maguire is awkward. You know, he, this is not the first time that he has insulted a player by being himself. And it's <laughs> not always, it's not always women, right? He's, I mean, you guys, you laugh because we know we've heard yeah. him. He's, he's insulted Sidney Crosby. He's made Jonathan Taze uncomfortable probably more times than we can count. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> 
he's he's made Sidney Crosby uncomfortable more times than we can count. It's just kind of who he is. And people were saying, you know, you guys are making it a gender thing. Hmm. And then there was like a one percent that were saying, well, women shouldn't be involved in the first place. And so that was that was very much a smaller part of it. And I think that part of the confusion was that people were saying he wasn't being malicious. And I don't think he was. People were saying, well, why are you guys getting so upset? He didn't mean it. He even said he didn't mean it. He apologized for it. Kendall Coyne said that she wasn't offended. And I think that what people are missing is that we weren't so much like women in sports, weren't so much offended either as we were immediately able to identify something that we have all experienced. Hmm. And 99% of the time, it's not men that are being malicious about it. It's men who just genuinely feel like they need to explain it more to the young ladies, so to speak. You know, they mm-hmm. and there there are some scouts that I've talked to who I love dearly. They're some of my closest confidants at the games. You know, they're so much fun to talk to, but they call you young lady and they the first couple times they talk to you, maybe explain the game a little bit more simplistically than they do to the guys. And it's not so much that you're being excluded from the conversation, which is like, this isn't Mad Men. That's not what (laughs) what women are upset about there. It's you're automatically starting two steps below where a guy would be in your position because the first, you know, two or three times you're interacting with these guys, you're, you're basically having to listen to them explain which team is on which bench, you know, it's, And then you're building up from there. So you're building up from like level negative two instead of from level one. So it just slows your advancement in conversations in being seen as a peer and as a respected equal in the game. And so it just, it creates that delay. And so a guy who starts in the same position doesn't have to, you know, sit through and endure those conversations as well. You're the only one who has to do it. So they, get to showcase their knowledge two or three times faster and then that advances them faster so they move up the ranks faster and next thing you know you're still at level one they're at level six and they're like well we started at the same time so clearly I did something right and you did something wrong Mm -hmm. and so it's not so much that women were and we were a little angry to see it but we weren't angry at Pierre for being like an asshole (laughs) So pardon my French, like we didn't think he was doing it on purpose. And there are a few men who will do that. There are a few men out there who, to make it clear, Pierre is not one of those. He's not someone who's intentionally trying to put Kendall Coyne down. I think he genuinely respects her. But just the fact that automatically there are a lot of guys in the game who their brain will immediately say, you're an analyst, not a fan, not you're an analyst, not a player. Right. Like even if he had said that. It's just it's just that little difference and it changes how people perceive you. It changes where they start with their opinion of you and it just sets you back from the start. So you're doing twice as much work to get to the same point as someone else in your position. So it was more frustrating to see because it's 2019 and we know that he does respect her. So the fact that just subconsciously there's still that difference in opinion that's what was the most frustrating part. And then the blowback was 
a, a twofold kind of thing because you were you were frustrated about what you saw and then trying to explain it to the guys who didn't get it, who were saying, well, Pierre didn't mean it, so what's wrong? Trying right. to explain that automatic starting from a negative two instead of a level one, just trying to explain that to everyone got exhausting. Yeah, and then, you, were, oh, then, then there was that one percent that was, you know, Twitter's been, it's been on another level for the last week or so. So, you know, yeah. we were getting a few more of those than normal that were genuinely upset that there was a woman involved in the game and were genuinely upset about the sound of her voice and thought that she sounded like a child and expected her to be an expert from day one, even though, you know, if you go back and listen to the first two or three games, and that's what I was telling people, you know, Brian Boucher, one of the best new between the benches analysts in the game, excuse me, he's a, He's a former goalie. He holds the NHL record for most consecutive shutouts. Uh, he's been one of the best new analysts. He's fantastic. But he didn't do amazing his first couple games. You know, it's, it's tough to get used to watching the game, processing the game, and immediately picking out what you want to say live on air. That's a tough thing to get used to. So just... Like, he was given more leeway, I guess is the right way to put it. He was given more time to get used to it. And people were saying, oh, he's not used to it, rather than, oh, he's bad at it, which is mm. really what they were saying about Kendall. Yeah, I mean, like, like what you were saying, uh, like, like, I'm glad you brought up the the uh, the part about, you know, where Pierre said, uh, you know, w w you know, we're not playing you to be a fan. And I like, I, I, I do agree with you. I don't think it was malicious, right? But like... It's just so strange to me that rather than say fan, he didn't say player. Like that just seems like the logical thing because she she is a player. I mean that's how that's how we know her. Um, but yeah, so like you know that and that like the whole issue, the whole thing, and then like what you were just saying kind of reminded me of the you know the the quote. I forget if it was actually about her or or she said it herself. Like the famous Ginger Rogers quote where she you know she said we have to do everything you do but backwards and in heels. You know it's kind of <laughs> you know kind of definitely seems like it, it fits this uh, this thing. Absolutely. And it, it really is. There, there's not as much malicious intent anymore, but there are still, like I said, there are still scouts and coaches and other journalists who call you sweetie and they explain the game to you from a very simplistic standpoint. And they tell you that they're impressed when you explain the game correctly. They're like, wow, I'm impressed. You're a really good analyst. And you'd never hear them say that to a guy who was doing it. They would just expect him to be a good analyst and then be surprised if he was bad. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's a little backwards there. So it's, it's frustrating, but it's, I was, I was as frustrating as it was to also see some of the blowback. It was also pretty heartening to see how many guys automatically understood what was wrong with it. Like uh, my best friend, was was a really good example for me. He's someone who played competitive hockey until he was 19, considered playing longer. You know, he, he played his whole life and with guys. And he sent it to me and said, this is, this is embarrassing. Hmm. Like, I'm horrified at this. And I said, good. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm glad. And then when he read her apology, he said, it's not lost to me that she's taking the high ground here. I don't think that she's quite as okay with it as she's saying she is. You can read that in her tone. And I was like, 
I'm really impressed <laughs> that you're noticing that because, you know, five or 10 years ago, I don't think nearly as many guys would have noticed that with the tone and wouldn't have noticed that she was taking the high ground rather than genuinely being okay with it. So, so it was heartening to see that, you know, it was as frustrating as the whole situation was. It was also a nice moment of reassurance, which I don't think that Kendall Coyne wanted to be our, our, you know, whipping boy for getting reassurance for everyone else. But uh, it was reassuring to see how many people were not okay with it and how many people wanted to learn more about what wasn't okay with it. So I I suppose it's also helpful to have, you know, in the know people being able to, like, like you said, it was nice to have the the message already kind of already be out there and people were already kind of able to pick up on, what was wrong with it? I mean, the, the the thing that struck me like like immediately was, you know, when, when people are talking about like, oh, you know, it wasn't malicious and stuff. It's like, yeah. So if it wasn't malicious, like, gosh, you know, like does 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 that excuse it too? It's 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 a little weird because as much as Pierre is Pierre, you know, at some point, I mean, I and I think I remember tweeting something at you about the Sue and, <laughs> and and sending it out, but. You know, like if you you have to be extreme, like even more so now. I know it's like with every year, like the just the le- like the utter weight of saying it's 2019, it's 2020. Like the weight of saying that stuff, I think is just going to increase because it's like there's so much awareness for just people that just need to be better. <laughs> so like, like how many times do we have to? see like this type of thing happen and then just like oh well it's just just pierre being pierre it's like no i think maybe someone just needs to start saying something to him now like you don't have to bring the moral weight of the universe down on his head but i feel like you know i I think carolyn wilkie did a really awesome tweet thread about it like you know hey this yes the kendall's apology or uh kendall's uh note about well, what happened is is great, but also notice that this is another part of the problem because they're expected to shoulder the weight of what happened. Where it's like, no, if somebody should have said anything, it should have been Pierre. Like if any, like if Kendall mm-hmm. wants to say something in response to Pierre, that's that's fine. But she shouldn't have had to have been the per, the first person to say anything about this, which just kind of again shows another side of the problem. So like, yes, it's a it's a phenomenal. Note, she said exactly what I think she needed to say, and you can also read between the lines, as you said, that, you know, yeah, she's, she's like, okay, Jan, okay, like, that's, (laughs) that's, that's exactly what that type of tone was, and, and, you know, I'm sure, I don't know, in, in a perfect world, I don't, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't have held anything against her if she was either more pointed or more, you know, vocal about, you know, either her feelings or how she felt about it, but, you know, again, there there is a lot to commend her for. You know, like she doesn't want like seeing her skate, and then seeing uh, uh, Brianna Decker well, win the this, the the passing for for a guy who's pretty much been in the wheelhouse for every great moment, like as just like a white cis male, right? Mm-hmm. Like for like I've pretty much had in my lifetime, and then before that pretty much every great moment happened but e- even so to see that happen for her but for every woman watching every grandmother watching every daughter watching every every young woman watching 
I'm really excited to be able to 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 take part in that moment to see like this is important, you know, and this is and this has nothing to nothing to do with me. I was really glad that I saw it, and I'm sure some people are just writing it off. So for for that for those important moments to happen, and then they're like, okay, we're gonna bring you on, and then here's yet another goofy plot twist of like, hey, you're gonna we're gonna put you on the air. But we're gonna have Pierre be your partner. It's like this almost—it's <laughs> like this gotcha moment where it's like, hey, you think you're getting far, but we still have to run you through it a bit. It's like, no, you can, you can have these moments happen organically and then totally build off of them. It's it, Pete already said this, I think, eight million times in tweets. Best sport, worst league. <laughs> so, I, 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 I am also very, uh, I, and I think I said this to you, Kat. I am extremely heart as heartened as well to see as many people were able to come out and be like, okay, so that's bad. <laughs> this is this is not what's supposed to happen. And and for all the, you know, I will say I did see a lot. And you know, maybe this is just me curating my timeline, or maybe just not actually being around people that are terrible. But I did see those uh, those responses. It was like, well, what's she doing there in the first place? It's like. Well, gosh, I kind of like to think it's because she's an experienced hockey player. She's not a female mm-hmm. hockey player. She's not a female athlete. She's an athlete. She's a she is a hockey icon. And would you, like like you already said, you wouldn't be saying this to anybody else. Watch, like what, like uh, uh, what was uh, I forget anybody like let's say Team USA men won this right and when and was one of the you know one of the really young guys you know like twenty or twenty one. And then they win gold. He has the game winner, and they bring him on. Nobody would criticize him. Nothing. Nobody. Well, Nobody. now we're talking fiction because we're talking about Team USA winning gold. <laughs> exactly. I'm exactly. Sorry. See, this I'm is sorry. What, no, no. You're, that is that is the exact joke. That I is the exact joke. <laughs> that's that's exactly it. So, you know, we're, we're I, I'm glad we're mostly moving past it. I just I, I think. I forget who said it too, but it's like you know. In this situation, is it would it hurt just to say I'm sorry, just flatly, right? Like to just right. begin these. Well, po- he did, to- and that's that. That helped a lot as well. I yeah. think. Uh, I think that's that's how you can tell in a lot of these situations who is and who isn't malicious because they're willing to say that, they, and that's hard. You know, when you screw up on something like that, it's very hard to say that you're sorry because you didn't mean it you know it's uh I know I wrote something a few years back about about a differently abled athlete and didn't use the correct terminology and I now have someone who is wheelchair bound and she actually proofreads a lot of my stuff for me for language but the first time I wrote it she got very upset and she sent me a message and she said hey this really hurt because the way you described us was not treating us as an equal and I didn't think that she wasn't an equal so I was embarrassed and I didn't want to say anything like I didn't want to apologize because I didn't mean to do it but getting that apology and recognizing that even if you didn't mean it you were still wrong I think that's big and even if your company is making you do it which I don't think is the case with Pierre I genuinely think that he apologize for himself because I don't think he's a bad person um I think that's a huge step and that's a sign that we're not seeing the malicious misogyny anymore we're Mm -hmm. seeing 
the incidental, the systemic misogyny, and that people are recognizing it and they're willing to apologize for it. And that, I think, is a huge step forward as well. And and I know it's a really underrated thing, but I think that uh, the fact that Dan Carcillo was so vocal about it, someone who used to literally punch people in the okay. face, saw how wrong it was. Uh, that, I thought, was another big step. You know, he he was tweeting about it. He was liking it. He... He went through and liked all of my messages about it and gave me that follow. It was a dream come true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, he he was really vocal in supporting what was wrong with it too, and that I think is a sign that things are really changing. So it was it was a good learning experience for everyone. I kind of wish it could have come without some of the Twitter messages, <laughs> but uh, it was it was a good learning experience for everyone overall. It is so refreshing to start to be in a world of Ron Weasley racists instead of just straight up Draco racists. That's, that's, <laughs> that it's it's best way to put it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Kat, we're uh, we're gonna wrap up our fun interview here with something that I'm sure is near and dear to your heart, which is the trade deadline. And uh, we uh, we wanted to uh, ask our last reader question from Mike Lon. I assume Peter. That is exactly how his handle is desired yep. to be. Yep. M- maybe Michelon. I don't know. It's just the the internet's a fun place. But uh, they <laughs> they uh, they asked, um, being two points out of the last wild card spot. How do you think the handles? Uh, how do you think the yes? How do you think the handles will coyote the trade deadline? That's that's exactly the word vomit I wanted to say right there. Um, That's a good and, way to describe the coyote right now. <laughs> handles the coyote. Um. Um, and then uh, what? What? Uh, and so I guess it's a two-parter. How do you think they're going to handle the trade deadline? And 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 what is missing for them to be a true contender? And if the answer is Pavel Datsuk, <laughs> a doctor. Um, <laughs> they badly need a doctor. Um, <laughs> no, they're they're so injured right now that it's really tough to tell what they're going to do at the trade deadline because they want to mortgage their future for a team that was really only supposed to take a step forward this year. You know, they were, um, all right, sorry, my, uh, my headphones died. Um, no, they're, they're so close to the playoffs, but I don't think they were supposed to be much better than this this year. They weren't supposed to be contending for the cup. So really when you think about it, I don't think they want to do too much beyond surviving the season. They're so hurt right now. They don't want to mortgage what few healthy players they have to make it to the first round and get eliminated. So I think that we might see them make a few minor transactions. We might see them jettison uh, Richard Ponick right into the sun. Um, he, he's definitely their trade bargaining chip right now. But overall, I don't think we're going to see a ton of movement from them. I think we're just going to see them play it out and see, see see what happens, really see where the chips fall for them because they're, they're having a fun season, but they're not having a healthy season. And I don't – I think they know that, so – Cool. Yeah. So it's like you said before, uh, the Pacific is uh, pretty wide open. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, that's such a polite. That's such a polite <laughs> yeah. They're they're both wild card spots. They're supposed to be under ninety points Ooh, for any of them. If you don't follow uh, the Western Conference, that's that's how it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, so Kat, thank you so much for coming back on. Uh, our uh, if you want to follow Kat on Twitter, you can find her at. Kat M. Silverman. That's S-I-L-V-E-R-M-A-N. And yeah, Kat, thanks so much again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys.
Once again, Pete, we have uh, another stellar interview in the bag. Uh, once again, it was really nice to have Kat's uh, particular skill set. She is literally the Liam Neeson from Taken of Goaltenders right now. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very excited to always hear her perspective on things. So um, we wanted to, uh, we talked about it a little bit uh, earlier in the show, but uh, we wanted to kind of do a little bit of a wrap-up perspective on uh, the recent number retirement of one Leonard Red Kelly by the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, as of this recording, it was last night. Um, I was very fortunate to be able to cover the ceremony. And um, I think it was a, it, I think it's very beautiful for the first uh, number retirement to happen in the new arena. That was, uh, that was pretty cool. Um, I, I liked how they went about it. Um, the It's, I, I was, uh, I, I was in the I was in the press conference uh, room when uh, Chris Illich announced that they would be doing this and it was going to be against the Maple Leafs, which obviously makes one million percent sense because uh, Kelly won four cups for both Detroit and the Toronto Maple Leafs, the only player to do so, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, and uh, there was um, there was a surprisingly low amount of people in in the in the uh, uh, bowl when the ceremony started, but then I started to think, well, you know, maybe it's not so surprising because uh, sadly they, they, yes, they announced it and they've been advertising and stuff, but like the Leafs already retired Kelly's number for them. Mm. So this was just kind of a, the Red Wings are settling some extremely, extremely, extremely old business (laughs) to, uh, to help here because uh, Kelly started with the wings. Uh, It's where he won his first championships and, the uh, the circumstances around his departure were always uh, kind of crummy because, uh, as as was the case back then, Pete, it was a uh, it was a draconian league. Uh, players were shipped off to basically the equivalent of Siberia here and there uh, for not playing by owners' rules or causing a ruckus. You know, most famously, Ted Lindsay for the creation of the NHLPA was shipped off to Chicago. So. You know, it's it, it was a very very heated and still owner dominant. Uh, world and uh, it's it, it, it's just you look back and and see the, the the trades and player movement that happened solely because dudes are giant whiny rich babies mm-hmm. um, it's it's disappointing but um, his uh, it, it, this this was a long time coming um, he he was uh, there with his wife and family um, I was uh, overall very pleased but Pete the one thing that Obviously, I think most people would come away with was, um, why did it take this long? Yeah. <laughs> and um, there's 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 competing stories. There's competing theories about owners having grudges against players, uh, whether or not those grudges were transferred when the team was sold. And um, this kind of ties into, um, you know, kind of the conversation that's uh, kind of happening on our show here a couple times, Pete, about, uh, you know, recent uh, numbers being retired or wanting them to be retired in uh, Sergei Fedorov and uh, Pavel Datsuk. You know, we talked about this a little bit with uh, with Keith Gave and, and a couple other folks. So watching last night, um, my overwhelming feeling was I don't want to see the – I mean, Red is 91 years old. Mm. The fact that he was there is a tr- is tremendous, and it's phenomenal. And I'm glad that we were able to, we the Red Wing people and nation had a chance to celebrate him. 
it's just he's 91. Yeah. There's only so much that he could enjoy from mm-hmm. an event like this. And um, I don't know. I, 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 if if there was – for the most part, I'd say it was a really nice uh, a, a really nice ceremony. But if there was one um, you know bittersweet moment, I would want to pass on everybody else. It's like let's not – can we not do this to the players that we want to see up there in the first place and who deserve to be up there in the first place? You know, I'm not saying, hey, let's let's cry over not – retiring, you know, Gerard Gallant or Danny Gare's <laughs> number just because of of their of their history to certain people. You know, there's like what? Are we honestly gonna have Sergey Fedor like first of all, I think we can assume that Sergey and Pavel are gonna live to be at least one hundred and twenty. Right. Yeah. But with when they are the like that's when we're gonna do it. When like you want these guys to be able to be celebrated when they're still like known people. Like I think the wings had a trim, just I think that just kind of stunk. They kind of had a raw deal in front of them because they're like, okay, how do we educate our entire fan base on this guy that was very integral to a very successful part of our of our history? But we just we haven't done anything. Like it was just done. Like, yep, we're doing this now. Then there wasn't really too much conversation around it. So I don't know, Pete. What are you? What are? What are your thoughts on? On, on this thing happening that should have happened way, way, way earlier. Yeah, I mean, from um, you know, when we talked to Keith Gave last episode, if I remember correctly, we we never actually got to talk about this. Um, but in his book, he he talks about this in his book, and and when he was on Craig Custance's podcast, he talked about this, um, where he basically said he never said who he talked to, but it sounded like. Uh, he talked to somebody in the organization who would know, you know, somebody who very high up who, who who knows what's happening. And he basically said that uh, in the book, he basically said that Sergei Fedorov will not be his number will not be retired as long as Marian Illich has anything to say about it. Um, and I think in the interview with Craig Custance, he he said that basically Pavel Datsuk is in the same position for pretty much the same reason, even though it was obviously not exactly the same. Um, Yeah. And obviously that's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens down the road Um, is, you know, when, when Chris Illich is, is the one who is pretty much, you know, has, has the only say um, is that going to change? Is it going to change? uh, You know, is he going to stick to that hard line or not? Um, my guess would be not. Uh, I I do think that at some point, I do think that those numbers get retired. Um, but I think he said, uh, Keith said in the interview with Custons, he said that the next number that's going to be retired is going to be Zetterberg, um, which I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's true. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think uh, it's it, 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 it's tough because both of these players have given so much to the organization, to the fans, so many great memories, so many great moments. They were part of, you know, Detroit's winning history, but at the same time, they, they, you know, they, they left the team under uh, circumstances that I think it's probably more than favorable to say were less than ideal. And you can understand why people would be upset. You can understand why people would feel uh, betrayed uh, for the way that they left. And I mean, I, I think it, it's a complex situation because I think both those things are true. And I think both those things can be true. And you have to try to figure out how do you 
how do you square that circle? And so, yeah, my guess is my guess is that the, both of their numbers will be retired. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really want to guess when because I don't really think I have any any kind of insight into that. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's you know, uh, you know, last night for for Red Kelly, that was the you know only the eighth number. And and obviously you know you only have so many numbers to retire, but uh, I thought it was interesting. You know, it's it's interesting that in the entire history of the team, with so so many great players over the years, that there's only been eight. And you know, again, I mean, you, you, there's kind of a limit on how many you can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. There, it's it's almost a it's it's an ongoing issue and there's like no real like solution for it. It's just, I just don't want the conversation to stop because there's no current solution for it. I think, I think last night showed that, yes, you can, you can celebrate these guys, but like, what, what is the, like, okay, so we want to look back and say, okay, we corrected a wrong, but like, you know, like, did you correct it at the time when it would have been the most impactful? Right. Like, I think this was, this is, this is cool. I, I like that they did it. And I think maybe it opens, the door to you know different numbers being you know retired if 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 they do so desire to be i just you know with the whole fedorov and and, and datsuk stuff like you know datsuk's still playing so like I, I don't mind if his number doesn't go up for for forever i mean then there's also the rumors of him wanting to maybe come back and if i have to see pavel datsuk wear a jersey that's not a winged wheel i will i will forever dunk myself into the into the pristine waters of uh like like here on <laughs> forever and have my head frozen underneath um but yeah I, I watching last night pete i came away with the feeling of yeah this is great and then also the feeling of let's not wait forever mm-hmm. to do it for the other guys you know like and and i don't know i i guess it just i would love to i've heard the story a couple of different times about how how, how fedorov left and um, and actually, in, um, I, we actually didn't get to this when we were talking to Keith Gabe about it, but I was also wondering at the time of like, listen, if, okay, so Illich makes this big, mega, awesome offer and Sergey walks away from it. And then, you know, okay, yes, as an owner and you're very used to winning and you're very used to getting things done your way. And then someone just doesn't want to be a part of the way you want to get things done. You know, yeah, you can be blinded by, you know, like, who who are you to call, to question me and my offer? Hmm. But I, I always wonder, Pete, if if maybe uh, how if things were different, if if Mike said, you know what, guys, hang on a sec. And if you've like followed him up to his car and it's like, listen, I just literally gave you the house. And you still said no. So so what do you need if you need time or just like you can you can be honest with me like. We literally stole you from another country. We facilitated facilitated your exit from what was at the time surely a a a lesser life. What you're going to be in the army and you're going to play hockey and you're never going to win a cup. You're never going to win this thing. You you've always wanted to do this. So so we we were able to help this with you. So like like I feel like I have an an investment in 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 what you want to do here, and I'm not saying that you should do whatever. I say, but like, clearly there's something that you're not telling me. And I just, listen, we've been through, dude, we've been through so much. Like what, how, how can we not figure something out here? So I really hope that's not the case with, with things moving forward. So um, long story short, 
it was it was it was really nice to see last night, but it just further fuels the questions of what are we doing here, Pete? Mm. <laughs> yeah, and, and also just before we wrap up, we do want to point out uh the most important part, which is that the Red Wings beat Toronto. So uh Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right, so thank you. Shout out to shout out to my dad who is in Vegas and he actually placed a, a bet on the wings winning and Vegas not only had the Red Wings listed as an MLB team on the bet ticket, uh, the odds were very heavily in the Toronto favors. So my dad made a nice chunk of change. So thank you, Red Wings. You're uh, you're making money for the right people. There we go. Yeah, there we go. So uh, so thanks again for listening. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Uh, we have a fantastic guest lined up in quotation marks because basically this person's agreed to do it. We just have to figure out the timing. So. As always, we want to wait until we know for sure before we we announce anything, but uh, it's going to be a really good interview that we're really looking forward to. Uh, so you can follow us uh, on Twitter. You can find me at P. Flynn Hockey. You can find Jay at the Roar underscore 24. You can find our podcast. Uh, you can find our podcast at 200 foot pod. That's 200 FTPOD. If you're interested in some merchandise, you can take a look at our online store. It's tinyurl.com slash fursshirt, F-E-R-S-H-I-R-T. And you can find shirts and hoodies and uh, pillows and all sorts of stuff, uh, stickers, etc. Um, and I want to just do a quick plug. I'm only going to do this once. Um, but my wife and I have launched our own podcast. It is uh, about Law & Order Special Victims Unit, which is one of the best slash craziest slash weirdest shows ever. Um, and you can find... You can find that online if you search on any of the podcast apps, if you search for Lando Special Podcast Units. Um, so, yeah, so uh, so that just got off the ground. Uh, we have our second episode coming out this, this coming Tuesday, so one day after this, and we'll have them coming out every week. So if you like that show, uh, give that a listen, see what you think, um, and uh, let us know. So thanks again for listening. Have a great week. Just want to let everybody know every time Pete does his spiel, I mouth it and it's been memorized. <laughs> yeah. It's great stuff. All right. It's great stuff. <laughs> Thank you kindly. For sure. 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 For sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure.